And welcome to Mytholadies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. And Lizzie, who are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about Aisha Khandisha, oh. who is a figure from Moroccan folklore. Awesome. Aisha Khandisha is a very well-known figure in Morocco and also the west of Algeria. She's a genia or a female jinn, who which is a supernatural creature from Islamic mythology and theology, who is said to possess and kill men. Awesome. She is recognized by her feet, which are that of a camel or goat. Sometimes um, she's called by a nickname, such as Lala Aisha, which means Lady Aisha. Aisha Sudaniya, which means Sudaniya is like a Sudanese woman. And Aisha Lignawiya, which the Gnawa are a Moroccan ethnic group. Or Aisha La Contessa. And these are said in order to avoid directly naming her. Oh, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's many different stories about her as they have been told orally. Mm. Um, She has many different names and different origins. Some say she's Portuguese, some Amazigh, and some Sudanese. Okay. There are also many variations in all the different sources that I found. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so the first, and I think one of the more popular accounts, so... It says that Aisha was a beautiful woman who lived near Al-Jdida, which was a city occupied by the Portuguese. One day, the Portuguese came to her village on a day where she wasn't home and killed her whole family. Oh, no. One account says that this young woman helps to defeat the Portuguese invaders with a technique that consisted of using charms to attract soldiers who would then be killed by her accomplices. She was then punished by the colonizers who killed her entire family and her fiancé. Oh, wow. Yes. So when she got back, she found everyone dead. She cried all day and night until she turned into a genia. Oh, okay. So again, the crying thing. Exactly. We see see that so many times. The transformative power of women crying. Exactly. So when Aisha realized that crying wouldn't get her anywhere, she decided to get revenge upon the Portuguese who killed her family. Awesome. Every night, she would appear in front of one of the Portuguese generals as a beautiful woman to seduce them, and as they would approach her, she would kill them. Ah. Mm -hmm. This continued as she killed a man every night until she took revenge on all the people who killed her family. After she killed all the men, they started to call her Aisha Khandisha. We'll talk about the name a little bit later. Okay. So, other villages, once they saw what Aisha did, motivated themselves as well to fight against the Portuguese, and this fight spread throughout all of Morocco. Awesome. Once Aisha turned into a genia, she had multiple names, such as Aisha al-Bahriya, which means Aisha of the sea, and Aisha Jablia, which means Aisha of the mountains. Uh-huh. People come to see her to this day to bring her gifts, as some people feared her as they said she would possess men and women, but most, mostly men, some even saying that they would get sick because of her. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting, because mm-hmm. she's both like a positive spirit and a negative spirit. Yeah, but, like, it seems like she's mainly a positive spirit for the people, actually, the actual Moroccans, and just negative for the Portuguese, but... It's... Well, well, 
a bit debatable. I would say she's much more negative to the people of Morocco, at least like in a modern day way, because, well, we'll get in, we'll see. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, it's said that if Aisha liked a man, she would appear as a gorgeous woman to seduce him. She would especially seduce drivers in the night and would appear as a hitchhiker and most people would not realize it was her and she would kill the drivers during the night or cause an accident. Awesome. I love a good hitchhiking lady. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Aisha would also possess the men she liked and would stop them from getting married, etc. Okay. So another account says that an old man was driving his car on the highway and he saw a woman dressed in white signaling him to let her into his car. Uh He stopped and let her in. She was a very beautiful woman, and the man could not resist the temptation of trying to flirt with her, Mm. and he tried to kiss her. As he leaned Mm. in to kiss her, and as her lips opened, they cracked. I don't 100% know what this means, but that's what one source said. So Aisha didn't want to do anything with the old man because she was married, so the man stopped her car to let her out. As she got out of the car, he noticed that she had camel feet, so he pushed her out of the car. Mm-hmm. A week later, Aisha came with her daughters and family and burned down the house of the aggressor and tortured him and his family. Wow. Yep. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, in, it's very interesting because she seems to be a seductress, but then mm-hmm. also she's like, I'm married, so I'm not going to do anything with you. So it's just like... She doesn't actually do anything with the men that she's seducing. She just, like, lures them in and then kills them, I guess. Um, I guess for this particular one, because this is more of, like, a backstory, but I feel like Aisha, the demon, she she does sleep with the men, but... Okay. Anyway. But, like, as we will see, there are a lot of conflicting accounts when it mm-hmm. comes to Aisha. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Stories about Aisha circulate orally throughout Morocco, And they often present her as a beautiful woman, often dressed in white with her hair down, with either camel feet or goat feet, depending on the region. Okay. Yeah, so she does, she sounds a lot like Laish Tabai. She does. I was thinking about that a lot while I was doing the research. Mm -hmm. That's very fun. Very. And (laughs) yeah, so there are many different stories that sometimes contradict each other in the characterization of Aisha. Some believe that she is a woman of unbelievable beauty, while others imagine her as an ugly witch with tangled hair, and sometimes a single person will claim both appearances. Mm. So when people hear her name, they often react in fear, repeating the phrase Bismi Lahi Rahmani Rahim, which means in the name of merciful God. Okay. It is believed that she is a Jinnia that lives in marshy areas and near rivers and ponds. She is said to be a beautiful woman with perfect proportions, however, with abnormally long fingers and her feet, like I said, being goats or camels' feet. The fingers thing is creepy. It is a bit. (laughs) (laughs) So she appears to men, surprising them with her beauty. She then proceeds to seduce them and cause their death. The man, if he doesn't die immediately while having sex with her, dies later, often by losing his mind. Okay. So, metaphor for STIs there. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) So, denying Aisha's existence, mocking her, or saying her name frequently is said to be dangerous. That's why people call her by a nickname, though, which... Mm -hmm. So, like I said before, it's also believed that Aisha was a real person a woman who took the lead in fighting against the Portuguese after they destroyed her village and killed all of the people. Mm-hmm. Her village was in the proximities of Aljdida, south of Casablanca. 
She took her revenge for the death of her relatives by seducing the Portuguese men to later assassinate them. However, consumed by the success of her revenge, Aisha could not get over the tragedy and went mad. Mm. She cried so much she was seized by Eugenia and later on became Eugenia herself. Mm. So she's called by the Portuguese Aisha la Contessa, which is where the term Candisha comes from, according to the interpretations of the time period. Mm. Mm-hmm. So Aisha possesses men, often by creating a crack on their body, opening their body up to other genes and demons. She uh, possessed them herself, or did she just allow for other spirits to possess them? I believe that she possesses them herself. This is just one interpretation that I found that said that she creates a crack opening their body up. But for most sources, I think it just said that she does possess them herself. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, so after she possesses a man, he is then likely to become impotent or lose interest in human women. Hmm. And he may suffer a variety of physical or psychological effects unless and until his possession is brought under control by the intervention of one of the popular Moroccan curing groups. Oh, cool. There are many such groups, um, but one that is concerned specifically with possession by Aisha is Hamacha. And then the source that I saw about this said... The attitude of Hamacha towards Khandisha is ambivalent. On the one hand, she is seen as the source of the suffering they and their clients experience, and which draws them to the Hamacha music and trance. Yet many of the terms used to refer to her connote respect or deference, and this does not in every case seem to be a mere attempt to evade her wrath. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, like, my first thought was, like, oh, they might just be trying to evade her wrath, but then you're like, no, it's not just to evade her wrath. So that is interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, she's somebody who, like, merits respect, I guess. Yeah. So her first name, Aisha, is a common name in Morocco after one of the prophet's wives. Mm-hmm. According to my Moroccan friend who asked their grandma, Aisha can be translated to French as celle qui vivra, celle qui plein de vie. So basically a, a lively woman who is full of life. Okay. So the myth has roots in the pre-Islamic period, more specifically in the period of time where the Phoenicians were present in Morocco, around 1000 CE, although by another source, around the 7th century CE. And you'll find this interesting. Okay, so Aisha is linked to the Phoenician goddess of love, Astarte. Uh-huh. A version of the Babylonian Ishtar, uh-huh. or Inanna, who we talked about in episode two, yeah. <laughs> um, who is a symbol of fertility. Okay. Because of this, Aisha appears or lives where there is water, whether it be by a river or a pond or a well, etc. Mm-hmm. She has also been compared to Ketesh, who was a fertility goddess also associated with sacred ecstasy and sexual pleasure, mm-hmm. whose name may have been pronounced by ancient Egyptians as Katisha, which sounds like Kadisha. Mm-hmm. So that is another possible origin of her name. Okay. Aisha is sometimes said to have a husband or a male associate called Hamo Kayo, but only in certain regions, and there are also some legends that say she's afraid of needles and that you can be rid of her by sticking a steel knife in the ground. Okay, in the ground. That's good. Yeah. The myth of Aisha is often related to water, which is a clear symbol of fertility. Mm-hmm. Before we continue, what are your overall thoughts? All right. Well, I have a lot of them, so. Okay. First of all, um, do you know if the name Aisha is still common in Morocco? Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. So that's interesting. Um that even though it's associated with, like, this female spirit who's um, quite frightening, like, it's still a common name, so. I will say that I looked up to see if Kandisha was an actual surname, and I found that it is not, mm-hmm. but there that there is one person in Sweden with the first name Kandisha. Oh, well, 
hello them yeah and i I told (laughs) our moroccan friend and they were like i wonder if they know if they're that their name scares moroccan children (laughs) that's really funny my other thoughts um she kind of reminds me of erzuli dantour oh because because of the portuguese yes so because she was sort of a symbol that inspired people to fight against their colonial oppressors mm-hmm. and drive them out. Um, and so as Azuli Dantour uh, is credited with uh, being an inspiration for the Haitian Revolution, mm-hmm. it seems that Aisha was the inspiration, inspired her village and other people in Morocco to drive out the Portuguese. So I thought that was really cool. And then also Azuli Dantour does have some a reputation for being pretty vengeful and a little scary at times, though not to the extent mm-hmm. that Aisha does. Um, but like, uh, I thought that was also interesting. I think that um, the association with the ancient fertility goddesses is very interesting. It is. And basically, it seems a lot of this myth does sort of de- demonize sex and sexuality a lot mm-hmm. because it is like, this woman, this evil seductress woman, will seduce you, and either like you'll die in the pro in the act, or you'll die after, or you'll grow impotent and lose interest in woman, which is like another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of seems to like you know demonize the act of having sex, and then her association with like s- goddesses of sexuality, like Ishtar and Astarta, is interesting because those goddesses were quite venerated and respected and sexuality was a large part of their worship and so part of me wonders if like there's some other later influences coming in and twisting the worship of those goddesses and the memories of those goddesses into like a more malevolent force mm-hmm. um similar to the story the possibility of the origins of la Eshtabai, um and the spanish colonizers interesting yeah, I have no idea. I did come across something that said um, basically that Aisha can be a benevolent figure. So I talked to our Moroccan friend and mm-hmm. they were like, that is, I've never heard that before. Like, I wonder if it's much older. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if it comes from like a different region that maybe back in the day in certain places, mm-hmm. Aisha actually was considered a more benevolent figure in some ways. Mm-hmm. So you never know. Yeah, and it's very interesting because, like, she could, I like I said at the beginning, I thought she would seem like a more benevolent figure because she had this very important role of driving out, like, the Portuguese colonizers. But then it seems that she turns on the people that she helped, and now she's, like, hurting them as well or is harmful to them as well. Um, whereas, like, Erzuli Dantour fought in the Haitian Revolution, and, like, she is vengeful, but she's only vengeful towards specific people. She... And, like, she has a purpose. It's not just, like, she hurts people. She's not just after, like, hurting people and yeah. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that's, like, an interesting development in her story and that, like, she's not really there for anyone, it seems, despite, like, the origins that make it seem like she's there. Mm-hmm. And then that makes me wonder about, like, what message we're supposed to take about, like, the expulsion of Portuguese colonizers from Morocco interesting although that could yeah be, i hadn't thought about that this is not a period of time i know it's this is not an area i know a lot about but it's like a thought yeah i get that mm-hmm. but yeah those are like 
my main thought. Okay, so I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but there have been attempts to reclaim Aisha by some feminist movements as a symbol of subversive feminine power. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, I, it really does. So there were several sources that I found that analyzed Aisha through this lens, comparing her with other goddesses and legendary figures that were, that were also demonized by men, such as Sirens, Succubi, Cleopatra, Isis from Egyptian mythology, and Dido, the legendary Phoenician queen of Carthage, as well as Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. as these are all examples of women demonized for their power or sexuality. Yeah. She has also been compared to La Llorona, presumably because of their backstories. They both deal with loss and grieving. Mm-hmm. There's also a French language magazine called Candija, which is a feminist magazine for women in Morocco, which was started in 2011 and, as far as I can tell, couldn't, hasn't been updated since 2016. Mm. It sounds cool, though. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Also, a thought about the La Llorona thing is that there's also the association with water, which I think. Oh, yeah, yeah true. And I think, doesn't. I may this not be wrong, but does La Llorona have like long hair? I think so. Possibly. Yeah. So that makes sense. Probably talk about it in a future episode where we cover her because we definitely should. We definitely will. Mm-hmm. So there is an Iranian Kurdish artist called Murashin Alayari who has a piece called She Who Sees the Unknown, Aisha Kandija, created in 2018. Mm-hmm. Alayari says about the piece on her website, In this video, I use Aisha's power and possession to revisit a personal love story addressing experiences such as toxic masculinity and emotional abuse, which is often a collective experience for many women and femmes, especially focusing on the experiences of women of color, in which their anger is often interpreted as too much or negative, and their tears are often visible in the dominance of white women's tears and fragility. I think about this video and text as a process for opening, revenge, closure, and healing. I created it as a way of embracing both anger and mourning, using them as a source of agency rather than shame. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that sounds really cool. Like a really cool piece to check out. Yeah, you, you should. It is quite cool. So there have been attempts to reclaim Aisha from original sources that may have been much more like woman-hating mm-hmm. and fearing of women who are sexual and who assert power over others. And this reclaiming of her can serve as a source of healing for women of color in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, de- I mean, like, there's definitely misogyny in her story. So I think the yeah, act sure. to reclaim her is very cool and very powerful. And we love to see it. Exactly. So, a source I read also mentioned that men who suffer possession by Aisha are often those who are unable to carry out expected roles such as suitor, husband, or family provider, Mm -hmm. or who have just experienced a failed love affair, estrangement from a spouse, or death of a family member. Mm -hmm. It also mentions Aisha's relationships with fellow women. It says, Aisha Kandisha, whose emotional demands and jealous interference with relations with human women externalize the apparent psychological conflict. I find this interesting because you hear a lot about female demons who go after men, but don't hear a lot about their relationship with women. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that Aisha doesn't have a good relationship with human women either, but that she goes after mostly men in revenge, whereas she has no reason to go after women. Mm. Like, rather than favoring women, it seems to me that she's sort of cursed to go after men for eternity because of her terrible past. Yeah. If that makes sense? Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, we talk about women such as Aisha and Laeshtabai from episode 5 mm-hmm. as though they're evil, but I feel like another interpretation is that they're bound to this life through their terrible pasts involving trauma and grief. So the more modern feminist interpretations of female demons such as Aisha make sense to me. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, this reclaiming of such figures as Aisha can be quite healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what the artists uh, said about how 
women and especially women of color's rage is like seen as too much and it's like you know Aisha had every reason to be angry and to lash out and to attack these people who destroyed her entire family like everything she's she did makes perfect sense exactly yeah, like, her backstories actually are quite sympathetic, I feel Yeah, like. absolutely. And then, like, the later stories, I feel, are a lot less sympathetic to her. And so I think that change is interesting. Whether there was, like, an original story, and then that was, like, people took it, like, adopted it, and, like, told new stories, and, like, came up with ideas that were more, like, sort of more misogynistic and reflected, like, patriarchal cultural values. Or, like... I don't know. I just think that the the change from like a story, a backstory, which like really makes sense and is quite like powerful and like shows like a really important woman who really like is working to like free herself and her people from these oppressors and then just turns her into this like demon who hurts and kills people. Yeah. Another thing that came across in my notes was that often... There are stories, like real stories, mm-hmm. about Aisha appearing to Moroccan people, but they're often like a third party, like, oh, my cousin mm-hmm. saw Aisha, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I was wondering, like, um, for a few of the women that I've researched, I've, like, I've kind of tried to like look on Reddit and be like, are there any like encounters that I can find where people are like, oh, I saw her and I barely escaped with my life or whatever. And like the story of Aisha sounds like something where there'd be stories like that. Because she's... So- yeah, there definitely are. Because she's uh, like a folklore character and she's also kind of like an urban legend, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's definitely, like, she's super, super well-known in Morocco. Mm -hmm. Like, she's just, like, universally feared. Like, she's a story you tell to children to scare them, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, like, it's still very present today, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, like, I assume you probably wouldn't want to go around saying her name in Morocco. No, I think not. Yeah. Which, in that sense, she kind of reminded me just a little bit of Oiwa, Mm, just because of that whole, like, she wants to be respected. You don't have to, like... You don't want to say her name too many times, like, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of thinking that. I was like, Lizzie, you're always bring- telling us about these women who are, like, kind of don't <laughs> like being talked about too much. And now here we are talking about them, like... Whoops. whoops. Yeah. Well, she's cool, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, she is cool. I also think it's very cool that she has, like, she might have camel feet. Yes. I think that's, like, a very cool distinctive feature. We talked about her just a little bit. We, like, mentioned her in passing when we were talking about um, the Babanshi yeah. in the Vampiric Woman episode mm-hmm. because the Babanshi had, like, goat feet yeah. or hooves or something. It just said they had hooves. I assumed it was goat feet because that's generally how it goes when you're talking about evil spirits because, like, there's the demonic implications if, of goats in general. But yeah. Is there? Yeah, yeah, because, like, the devil's associated with goats. Oh, interesting i didn't actually know that yeah um it's like sheep are holy and goats are evil huh i mean like not really but there's a whole biblical story about like separating the sheep from the goats and it's like a metaphor that's crazy like the sheep represent like the holy people and the goats represent the evil people and they'll get sent to hell but yeah they're just animals they are they just have weird pupils because they can see all around them (laughs) but yeah anyway (laughs) but yeah aisha can also have goat feet I think it's interesting that she's associated with water. I feel like there's just a lot going on with her in general. Um, like I said, she has goat feet or camel feet. So like there's that sort of implication of like demonic association, maybe. And then there's the fact that she's um, like a spirit from Islamic folklore. Um, 
And then there's the fact that she's associated with water, which, like, it just feels like there's, like, a lot of different, like, tropes that are being applied to her. Lots of different symbolism. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting. It seems like maybe she's, like, a combination of a bunch of different, like, cultures and ideas, like, coming together to create this character. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, like, sort of the idea, like you said earlier, of the water symbolizing fertility is pretty interesting. And that makes sense for her and her story. But then, like, it feels like the rest of her character doesn't, like doesn't gel with that like um her being like you know like camels not associated with water it's just like yeah there's just so much going it's just an interesting feature i think is like you know it's not like oh she's a watch associated with water so she's like scaly and slimy you know like a lot of sort of like water like creatures are like um female water Mm -hmm. spirits that are kind of seductive are like that but um it's she looks very different from that so like if you showed me if you like described her to me i my first thought wouldn't be like oh she's associated with water true mm-hmm. also it's because she because she's associated with fertility but also it's like she leaves men impotent yeah it's really interesting yeah and so she's a woman of many contradictions yeah absolutely and i think she's so complex yeah and i think that like in a way she's sort of been made into like this kind of boogeyman for like male fears about female sexuality mm-hmm, that makes sense um and so like they're basically like here are all the things we're afraid of or like all these like different spirits from various cultures and we'll like create our own basically yeah but again i do think it's like very interesting that she is so like associated with like the freedom struggle but she's not good yeah i think that's much more like the urban legend portion of her like okay that's her- yeah like, like her said to be her origins mm-hmm. yeah that makes a lot more that makes a lot of sense it's sort of like oh she you know she was said to be this woman and then like during this part of history and stuff like that as opposed to like meant to be something more in depth yeah i think it's interesting that she possesses men yeah because <laughs> we don't really see a lot of like cross gender possession mm. in mythology or at least i haven't seen a lot interesting you know it's like generally you know female spirits like are attacking the woman or maybe like male spirits will attack women as well because like there if you think about sort of like fears about like you know attacking like young innocent young woman and stuff like that but there's not a lot of stories about like or at least not that i'm aware of i could be unaware of some of women like getting inside and like possessing men and i think that like that taking away of men's autonomy is also, like, again, a big representation of, like, fear of woman's sexuality and, like, impotence and stuff like that. That's interesting. And how, like, a fear of, like, if women have enough power, they'll just lose control over themselves. hmm Or something like that. That's my interpretation. I mean, she definitely represents, like, fears about sexuality and power in women. Mm-hmm, for sure. But also, in the Airsley episode, we talked about possession as well. Right. And I believe... Er- Ersley, Freda, and Ersley don't work and possess anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so she seems like a really cool woman. I'm really... I think it's really amazing, her story and her history, and also that she's being reclaimed now. Yes. And so, thank you for listening. Um, Please feel free to subscribe, leave a review, tell all your friends, and we'll see you next week with another episode. Goodbye. <laughs> The Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix with help from Margot and Zane. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mythaladies and visit us on our website at mythaladies.com. 
Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you.